गुड मॉर्निंग एवरीवन सो येस्टरडे वी स्पोक अबाउट द यूनिवर्सल नेचर इन एवरीवन वन इज वन नेचर इट टेक्स डिफरेंट यूज एंड शेप्स एंड फॉर्म्स वी आल्सो स्पोक अबाउट the universal aspiration within all mankind though each human being is different in appearance and of course there is something unique about each one of us but the aspiration is universal all of us share the same inheritance and all of us are seeking for the same thing and it's available in abundance there is no competition in that seeking and one thing which we passingly noticed was the gap between the aspiration within man within human beings and the actualities of his nature to recapitulate we all seek love but we bitterly quarrel and hate we all seek peace but we become restless if there is too much peace ever experience that peace begins to get on our nerves and we seek something which is its opposite we all seek joy but there is a perverse love for tragedy for the tragic for the sorrowful and much of our actions knowingly or unknowingly lead us towards an increase in suffering within ourselves and in others we seek for truth but we abound in errors this is the paradox of a human life seeing this paradox now there are three positions people have taken with regard to this paradox one those who live in nature and don't believe that there is anything like a soul for them there is no conflict we are what we are there is nothing that needs to be changed we are human beings this is our nature and we have to live according to that so the philosophy that develops from this kind of approach or this kind of stance that one may take is that eat drink and be merry this is famous uh, some of you may have read rubaiyat umar khayyam umar khayyam was a persian poet and he has written rubaiyats and its english translation one of the translations of one of the passages the philosophy which comes from this kind of approach towards life that we are what we are made by nature and we are simply to just move on as our nature drives us so he writes ah make the most of what we yet may spend until we too into the dust descend dust unto dust under dust to lie sans wine sans song sans singer sans end so the philosophy which comes from that is that eat drink and be merry till the moment of your death try to snatch seek appropriate possess as much happiness as you can and at the end of it anyways you are going to die 
within this philosophy itself there is a paradox because if the end is death then what are we doing with all this seeking if man is nothing more than an animal as some biologists will tell us then what fun is there in anything else in any deeper longing in any deeper seeking so this philosophy itself is paradoxical because always behind our nature there is something which always aspires quietly silently and sometimes in some moments either of crisis or moments of intense concentration something seizes us from within and we begin to consciously seek nevertheless this is one approach the second approach is taken by those who have sought their soul and found it such people are rare but having found the soul they see the great difference as i said yesterday it's like a reversal of view the soul instinctively seeks beauty love beauty in the deepest sense harmony peace truth and when it finds itself in a world which is just the very opposite we as human beings have perfected the art of self deception in one thing there is no equal to ours in the entire animal kingdom we have perfected the art of self deception and deceiving others we speak lie at the drop of a hat it's strange animals don't lie some animals do practice deception chameleon few others but for self defense human beings speak lies for all kinds of reasons or no reasons so when we discover the soul we begin to become aware even before we discover it its touches we begin to become aware of the great contrast between our inner seeking and the world we inhabit it is so different so full of mischief so full of viciousness hatred jealousies anger fears threats have you not experienced it so the second approach is that well this world is an incurable malady often we say that man has this problem man has this problem man has that problem but we never ponder man is a problem you no know, till man came there was some kind of a harmonious balance man is a problem so this approach the second approach leads us to a increasing alienation first approach leads to an increasing alienation from our soul from our own depths from our own deepest and the highest the second approach leads to an increasing alienation from the world we inhabit from the from nature from life around us from human beings and one withdraws from the world either into a mountain top or or into a kind of sanctuary or in some kind of monastery and declares this world is not worth living it's an incurable malady try as it may it's a crooked tail of a dog and you try to straighten it it gets crooked again so this is the second approach which people take that withdraw from it more and more live in the soul at the moment of death shed this body and this nature as a worn out useless ill fitting garment and be free within and don't come back this is the second approach but there is a third approach both these approaches are not satisfying 
As I said, there is a paradox in both. If we live only by nature, something within us always keeps wanting to give meaning to life. If we live by the soul only, then always we wonder why we are in the midst of all this nature, life, why this creation came into existence. So both approaches are partial and they don't answer to the true need of our being, the need of fulfillment. Both incapacitate us in one way or the other. Without the soul, we are like an orphan. If there is an orphan, it's not an orphan who is, doesn't have physical parents. The true orphan is one who has not found his own soul and is driven by all kinds of forces with the mercy of everything in nature. There is a wave of anger and he is driven by it, like a whiplash. From another side a suggestion comes and he is driven by that. So that is really an orphan because he has no one to really turn to who can authentically and genuinely say and protect and shield and guide. So this is one kind of, the other kind where we live as a disconnected life. We are in contact with the soul, but our nature is very different and human nature around is very different, life is very different and one feels more and more disconnected with everything around it. So, what the third solution is, to fulfill nature by the light of the soul, by the power of the soul. What it means is, to reintegrate nature, to attune it, to make it an instrument fit and ready for the expression of all that our soul seeks. Let me give an example. In the ancient times, there is an image which is given of the whole human being as a chariot, the charioteer, some of us may be familiar with the image, will take that image and then come back to a modern image. So that image is, it describes the human being and human life as a charioteer going on a journey in a chariot. The body of the chariot, that is the wheels and all these things, is the bod human body. The horses are in different places, the senses as well as the vital energy which is fed. You know, they are the ones which carry the chariot. The reins is the mind. The one who holds the rein is the discriminating intelligence, the buddhi. And the one who is seated and is being carried is the soul. This is an ancient image. Now we don't have chariots except in some, you know, relics of places and once in a while the president goes in that chariot in some places. A modern image which we can use, with which we are much more familiar is computers. All of us use computers. So in the modern image, the human body can be likened. We know that in, in computers there are three levels of operations. Hardware, software and the skinware. Skinware is the individual who is operating the computer. It's one continuum. It's not Three different entities, but three, one continuum, interface. Hardware is the human body. The software is the programming, the mind, which programs the body to run in a certain way. The electrical current, which makes everything alive and possible, is the vital energy, which feeds it, because without that, the program is there, the hardware is there, but if that energy is not there in the circuits, well, the computer won't function. And of course, the one who is seated behind 
even if the computer were destroyed and smashed to bits, the skinware, the individual still remains. He can buy a new computer, plug in elsewhere, and start his operations again. If he wishes, he can change the program, upgrade the windows, all kinds of things are possible. So in the modern analogy, we can say that the body, the vital, and the mind are instruments just as the hardware, the software, and the electrical energy which passes in the circuits is an instrument. And the user of this instrument, the one who operates on the computer, is the human soul. This is the analogy we can take. Now, if the instrument and the equipment is good, then the user will be much more satisfied. Say, for instance, that if there is a musician and the musical instrument is not good, he may be a Beethoven, he may be a Ravi Shankar, he may be a Bhimsen Joshi, or he may be Sonu Nigam, for all you know. But if the instrument is not good, he is trained in everything, he knows all the ragas, everything is there, but you give him a stone and say, now take out music. So he will say, sir, I have music inside me, but if I take out music on this, maybe a good musician will do that. It will be very crude. It will not be something beautiful. But if you really want my music, the music inside me to flow and express and be thrilled by that, you need a good instrument. So similarly, in this view of things, the human body, the life energy, the mind, thoughts, feelings, passions, impulses, all these things are instruments and the user of the instrument is the soul. This is the difference, this is a new view or rather a very old view which we are trying to bring out through this series of things. In ordinary life, ordinarily, we are accustomed to understand this body, life energy and mind as an instrument for our personal satisfaction, for gratification of the ego. So, we don't care about it as long as the instrument gives us a personal gratification. That's all that we need. It should not fall ill. I should be able to buy a BMW and kill six people with it. Then I can certify myself as a good driver. That's, you know, the kind of life that we envisage. But there is another kind of approach to life that we are not here for just personal gratification. And really, if we come to think of it, is it really worth living just for living from moment to moment satisfaction for a few thrills? It's really life, it, it loses all its sense and purpose. Is that the only reason why we have come into existence to eat, drink and die. There is a story about a king wanting to know the history of the world. So he employs some people and asks them to write a history. So this man has to, you know, study a lot of books and travel. Those days, Google search was not available. So, you know, it takes about 15 years or 20 years at the end of it. He tells the king, sir, I have written the history of the world. Come, come, bring it to me. So, next day he arrives to the court with ten donkeys and at the top of each donkey there were ten books each. 
history of the world. So by then the king who had ordered this great thing by when he was 45 has already become 65. He says, see my eyes are becoming dim. How am I going to read all these books? I don't know how long I am going to live. Can you compress it? See the age of kunji, you know, what do you call keys? Instead of reading the original book, you want to read the keys. So he says, can you compress it? He says, okay, he takes another 10 years, compresses it. Now three donkeys and six books each. King has also moved on. He's 75. He has developed diabetes, blood pressure. Doesn't know when he's going to die. So he says, sire, it's... Please, now this is also too much for me. Can you make it still compress it to something still similar, simpler? So next day the minister comes and says, sir, I've done it. He says, you've done it? So soon? He says, yes. 30 years of reading history and dealing with it, I've arrived at what history is about. And I can give you in three short sentences all my knowledge of world history. What is it? What is it? takes out a paper. He says, this is the history of the world as I have understood. Men were born, they lived, they died. So this is the kind of one life offered to us. We are born, we live, we die. If that's what is our aim, then nothing is really worth it. Then we should just seek the simplest ways of making ourselves happy Rather than spending so much time, effort, going to universities, reading those books and might as well just go to the nearest joint and get doped. That's what ultimately it you know, leads to. But if there is something greater and deeper meaning of life, a greater worth than simply seeking personal gratification or personal happiness, then the whole idea of vital and mental education and physical education derives its sense. The point I am trying to make is, it's not like these things are meant for, okay, I'll get even more successful, even more richer, like, you know, there are some spiritual books which are written nowadays that earn more money through spiritual means. The thing is, the person who writes the book, whether it's spiritual or unspiritual, he earns a lot of money. That part is sure. Whether you will earn money or not, we don't know. So that's not the idea of this. The idea of education is, I think it must have been defined during one of the talks, I'm sure. If not, we can relook it. Education comes from the word educe, to bring out that which is best and highest that which is best. Yesterday we spoke of psychic education. What is the best inside me? What is that which I can truly call myself and be proud of it? Can I be proud of my ego self, which is so helpless, so much at the mercy of everybody? If something is denied to it, it starts weeping. If somebody says a harsh word, it sulks. If it gets a little thing and it feels like jumpy, I mean, that's not what I would like to be or any of us, I'm sure, any self-respecting, dignified human being would like to be identified as, this is me, I am son of so and so, I have this degree. What kind of uh, foolish identifications? But there is in us something which is true, lasting, eternal, of extreme value, a priceless treasure. And to bring out that is psychic education. Similarly, to bring out the best possibilities of human nature. 
of our physical, of our mind, of our vital. By vital we mean the feeder energy, the electrical circuit, the energy that feeds. By mind, the idea which is behind the force, there are two things which drive human beings. The force and the idea. And the body is always used by these two. The force, the, the, the thing which takes hold of us and drives us. Some people have the idea but don't have the force. Ever experience feel like writing beautiful things but there is no energy? And ever experience lot of energy but nothing here. So you are driven by whatever you know. Come let's go have fun. There is nothing really like an idea inside. There is just energy and the body is dancing to it. And sometimes you have a beautiful idea but no energy to do it. So this distinction between the vital and the mental is essentially vital is the feeder energy, the force that moves the body. It's indispensable. And the mind refers to the domain of idea, thoughts, that which stands behind the force and gives it direction. Force without direction stumbles with its own speed. Direction without force is something which is incapacitating. It's like paralyzed human being. So when we speak of vital and physical and mental education, physical education of course someone else will be speaking about, but essentially education is to bring out the best possibility and to put it at this highest use, highest service, the best possibility of the vital, the best possibility of the mind and its highest use, utility, that is the consummation of a human being, that is the worth of human birth. So what is the best possibility of the vital, the feeder energy? How do we receive vital energy? Any responses? How do we receive energy to do anything? Now, apart from boost is the secret of my energy. Food, yes. Physical food. Rest to recuperate energy. Very good. Anything else? Observations about life. Don't go by just uh, what you have read. Food, motivation. Sometimes people are fired to do something. They forget about food. They forget about rest. And they have the energy to do it. So there is something like a will to do. What else? Passion. That's right. Men driven by passion forget everything for days and days and days. It may be passion for something very ordinary. It may be passion for the extraordinary. That's right. Other than passion? Yeah, seeking for happiness. Yes. Uh, yeah, experience is a broad domain, but sense experience. Senses give us energy. Notice it ever? Senses can give us energy, senses can deplete our energy. When you are in a beautiful surrounding, have you noticed the effect of different types of sense experience upon the energy level? It's just a small little observation. It doesn't require too much of studies to know it. Emotions. People driven by the madness called love or the madness called hatred. No? They forget. Yeah, yeah. All these. Why emotion? Even passions. Everything. They are a great help. 
But right now, they are at the service. That's what. The first thing is to... These are just the feeders. Now, the next step is how to bring out its best uses. That's what. So, emotion, passion. Passion itself can be a great help. If you can be passionate about God, if you can be passionate about bringing the very highest things, but equally one can be passionate about personal gratification. And that's the disaster. Desires feed us. And desires deplete us. Both things. Inspiration. Now, this is the next category. So far, we spoke of two levels of energy, drawing energy. One is from food, which is from matter. Food and breath. We forgot breath. Eat without breathing. See what's going to happen. Breath, food, physical sources. Let's classify it physical sources. The second is from the vital worlds, emotions, passions, desires and a whole lot of things. Third, from the mind and regions above the mind, inspiration. That really brings another level to the whole discussion. Inspiration. Ever felt inspired? You may be feeling very hungry and suddenly you are inspired by something. And after a while you forget your hunger. During that moment, everything is gone. You become energetic. These are commonplace experiences. All of us have had it. Nothing unusual about it. So, we can draw energy from three sources. One from below, another at the same level, third from levels above. Now, these levels above, we can use the word spiritual. You know, inspiration and above. There is a fourth source of energy which is the source of much misfortune among human beings, but we most enjoy it. Ever notice that you are feeling down the dumps, no energy, no strength, and somebody walks into the house. And then a discussion starts about the neighbor. You know? And if the discussion is of a vicious kind, counting the faults, you see suddenly, first the energy will come, then you will sit, then you will make a cup of tea. Even after three hours of chattering, 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 energy is increasing, increasing, increasing. Notice it? Commonplace experience. It's not something unusual. <laughs> when we are quiet, because these channels are not open, when we are quiet, we feel sleepy. Why? Because the channels of energy to receive from above Except for rare moments of inspiration, they don't open. But when we chatter with others, all kinds of nonsense or some sense, doesn't matter, energy comes. So energy also comes by a process of interchange between human beings. If an extremely energetic human being comes into your environment, there are people who literally receive energy from such a person. That's why there are some people who when they walk into their office, everybody's faces lights up. And brightens for a moment. And if that person doesn't come one day, they say, oh, we missed you. No? They are natural givers of vital energy. They have this tremendous this thing. Whereas they are the other types also. Sulky, gloomy, dumpy, grumpy. And when they come, everybody's faces fall. And they wish and pray that if this man falls ill or if he is absent, then the whole office is bubbly. And chirpy, no? It's observed it, no? How some people deplete others of their energy. 
some give and increase the energy human interchange but as i said because it's a very mixed domain human beings always carry a mixed baggage therefore that energy exchange is a result of great misfortune but one should it's natural you know we should be friendly but when we begin to receive energy from human inter- interactions we begin to get flattened and more and more averaged out lot of good things and bad things pass into each other through this kind of interchange careless interchange so these are the various sources of energy to the vital how are we to train it how are we to educate it first we must observe before we educate observe see the effect of different types of energy see what happens when we speak to certain human beings you will feel that after speaking to certain human beings your head becomes heavy after engaging in certain kinds of discussion your whole consciousness becomes more and more turbulent turbid almost you know you feel strange kind of thoughts coming to you just a field of observation whereas when you are with some other human beings you feel quieted you feel hope you feel trust coming inside us so we have to see it's a whole science same with food same with sensations what happens when we eat certain types of food certain types of food make us make increase a certain quality of energy inside us whereas some other types of food increase another type of energy within us try one day eating fruits and try one day eating you know a pakka non-veg diet see the difference they create a different kind of energy into the system and we know the results try listening to one kind of music try listening to another at the level of the senses at every level even smell there smells which kind of deplete you shrink you there smells which make you freer wider so all kinds of it's a whole field of study observation what kind of energies have what kind of effects upon us that's the first step it should be very impartial detached study of our own nature each one must study it it's a whole science i am not getting into its details then having studied that then the next is how to refine and augment the possibilities how to refine the senses what the senses conceal is often far more valuable than what the senses reveal we all have been in this room for how many days three days today is the third day how many fans are there in this room yes somebody is venturing that is really bold i don't know i have to count look at it i mean how our senses we think we are always reporting facts registering things and it's all there subconsciously we have registered even if we were to ask how many windows it would be some kind of a thought process it won't come instantly because it's it's strange the senses are blind we don't realize second they weave reality they don't reveal reality it's very strange we all have studied basic science no so what is this table made up of wood and what is wood made up of 
atoms. Atoms, right? Atoms? Eventually atoms. What are atoms made up of? Proton, electron, neutron. What are they? Yes? Electric charges, I believe. Electric charges, right? And how much is empty space in an atom? Any guess? The same as in space. 99.99%. An atom as well as space in the universe is more than 99% empty space and the rest is electric charge which actually cannot be seen but inferred. Nobody has ever seen an electron by the way. It's an inference. That thing which cannot be seen, which is invisible tiny particle of spark creates to our senses this solid wood more solid than our heads. Strange, no? Ever wondered why this is so? We all read physics and pass by it. It's a question worth pondering and asking. Unconscious gene creating conscious human beings? So, let me not get into these questions, but they are worth pondering. The point that I am trying to say is that senses don't reveal reality. They don't reveal things as they are. They reveal things as they have accustomed us to see and receive. It's just nothing but habitual conditioning that we see, experience as a human race, just as cows experience a cow world. Have you seen those movies where nowadays they show how a snake sees, you know, uh, things around it, infrared vision? So it's very strange, you see blotches of some colors and senses the heat and warmth and through that it strikes at its prey and it's very accurate, much more accurate than human beings. Yet this development of the senses of the snake is very limited, it gives a different kind of reality altogether. So what are the limits of these senses? How many senses are there? That's what the scientists tell us. Six is one tradition. There are more than twelve senses. Go back and try to think of the names. There are so many senses which are asleep. Of course the sixth sense. If that awakens so much, so many things. So these senses have to be refined, refined, refined. It's a whole education. And the more they are refined, the more they are capable of receiving things and transmitting as they are. The less we will be shocked by appearances, disgusted and you know, we'll, these senses must be capable of transmitting the most minutest vibration like a good musical instrument. Perfectly attuned. There are some people who feel nothing even when they are face to face with God. Even if God appears before them, they will see one nose, two ears, two eyes, that's all. But there are others who in the most wicked see God. It's something very strange. It's the way our senses are attuned. Entire yoga was to augment the capacities of the senses. Much of yoga was about that. 
that if the senses get augmented, they will see reality as it is and not as it is presented to us through various inferential indirect means. So sense education. Similarly, refining emotions, refining passions. Emotions are wonderful. Without emotions, life would be dry and dull and drab. All seeking lose its worth. Seen people who are very intellectual but without feelings, how boring they can be. And when you read those books of philosophy, written by very, very boring people, emotions add color and spice to life. But colors and spices can be very sharp or they can be something very soft, something which enliven us. So similarly, these emotions can be very, very crude and these emotions can be very refined. These emotions can be directed towards crude objects, towards sense pleasures, sense gratification of a very crude kind. Vulgar emotions as they say. Or these emotions can be directed towards beautiful things. When somebody sees a beautiful painting and picture and has an aha feeling, it's a deeply engaging experience. There is a great joy and thrill inside. One can fall in love with that wonder. So there, there is a whole education of the emotions. There is a whole education of the passions. So all these elements need to be educated. Now normally when we speak of this education, we think disciplining by the power of the mind. Coerce the emotions. Suppress the passions. That's not what we are speaking about. One may have a very crude vital being, but very disciplined by the power of the mind but placed at the services of the crudest parts of the ego. There are some people who have a very disciplined life, but basically their aims are very low, very muddy. There is nothing refined about it. Very disciplined, but very crude. No refinement. So we are speaking about a refined vital. That's why the kind of human beings we interact with is important, because it's like a feeder energy. That's why the ability to sit quiet, to quieten the vital energies and to open to channels and regions above, to receive inspiration from, from higher regions of consciousness, we just alluded to them yesterday, is so very important. Even in our everyday life, these are very, very practical things. When we are face to face in a situation where we have to take a decision, I think some people are from management. How do you take a decision? Yes? But anyways, we all you have to take decisions. Excellent. So the mind evaluates and arrives at a decision. And what is the aim in that decision? What, are, what is one trying to achieve through the decision? That is very important, no? Right, but there must be a more central aim. Say in, in terms of, of course, that's a very gen, general, general approach in everyday life. But normally, when we speak of management, we come down to whatever is the need of the company, whatever is the need of a group, or yes, whatever is the need of an individual. So on that basis, we take a decision. Now, often when we speak of, we can take that definition, fair enough, situation demands. 
normally we take a decision based on the instinct of survival whether of individual or of a group or of you know the larger interest something which is going to be helpful for me to further my own interest let me put it like that you know not just instinct of survival in the sense of only roti kapda makan but also something which is going to be instantly uh, either in the short term or the long run term further my own interest that's normally how we decide okay so why did someone like socrates when we was when he was given a chance to escape from the jail did not escape you know his story no he was convicted and he was given um, he was told that he has to drink poison and just a night before he has to drink poison cretos his disciple one of those who loved him most and he was a very influential person so he comes and says socrates i have arranged everything i have bribed everyone right from the watchman and they will all keep quiet just come with me socrates decided not to go and socrates was not a fool he was a very wise man one of the wisest man in greece why would he decide that socrates gave his reasons he says upholding the law of the country his reasons of that time is more important than socrates personal life i have been convicted fairly or unfairly by an unjust system nevertheless by the law of the land and i must honor it more than my own personal survival now we may call him a fool in modern context but socrates who was regarded as the wise man of greece he decided to take a decision like that offlandish decision buddha in the prime of his youth i'll take another level of decision making who is having all the riches of his kingdom who is who has a beautiful wife and a lovely child walks away from the kingdom to the jungle in search of truth in search of solution to the human misery strangely he doesn't have any immediate misery he has no problems he is neither old he is neither dead obviously he sees those three people he is neither sick and yet buddha is moved to find the solution for human misery and decides chooses to walk away from the comforts of his house to the forest we know the stories of rama and krishna and many decisions which may appear offlandish why did these people take these decisions christ christ also could have easily escaped all that was required was for him to say that all that i have been saying so far is not true i owe my allegiance to the roman empire christ did not say that he chose to be on the cross our standards we would say it is foolish but christ chose it and all the wise men of that day those days including the emperor and those who convicted him are dead and gone but christ lives john of arc 18 year old girl she should have been looking for a wonderful career in new york city 
looking for a flight to go to Dallas. And all that was required was to say, all these visions are false and I owe allegiance now to the king rather than fight for the peasants. She chose to burn at the stake. Lakshmi Bai, she is a little baby, ties the baby to her back and she goes into the battlefield. How foolish of her. She should have simply enjoyed. What is there? Britishers would have simply said, okay, you give the royalty and continue to manage the kingdom. So many instances in history, strangely all these human beings who decided in the strangest of ways have been asked out in history. History remembers them as great and luminous ones, even when they failed. Lakshmi Bai failed. Mangal Pandey, you saw that movie, you know. One would say outrightly foolish to fire a gun against the British. What will you do with one single bullet? But he became the trigger. When he pressed the trigger of one single bullet, symbolically it became a trigger for the whole nation. A nation was aroused by a most ordinary, insignificant man who would have but for that one bullet, died incognito. These are decisions which human beings took at a point of time in their lives, which were not motivated by mere personal interest, but by something higher, something deeper. Whether they were right or wrong is each one's standard. But the fact is that time noted it. They are est out in the memory of the race and would be so for long, long time to come. And in our nearest context, we have a famous story of Savitri who decides to marry a man against all norms and conventions, knowing fully well that he is going to die within one year. How many of us, would, of us will do that? If by some freak means we know that this man is going to die in another year, we would say, well, so be it. This man, I have given myself in heart and mind and soul and I stay with my choice. Again, very unconventional decision. Strange. All those who decided and chose based on this you know, traditional thought process which we are told to evaluate and analyze and all that, we have forgotten. We don't know the birth date of Savitri. We don't know where she was actually born. I mean, it's recorded, but what exactly was Madhradesh? But Savitri's name is remembered tens of thousands of years down the line. Isn't it strange? This is just one example of how a refined vital, a refined mind, normally our mind is taught only to deal with appearances, you know, which is what but a refined mind is open to higher ranges of light, of a deeper wisdom. It, it can concentrate itself and in a receptive silence receive what must be done and it does it. So these are the capacities inherent. We spoke about the vital, we, we are now at the mind and how our mind normally 
which is such a mediocre instrument can really become an instrument for a great change. We can probably, yes. Yeah, you're talking of Kohlberg stages. Kohlberg stages are, um, I mean, in the Indian context, they would be regarded as something very infantile. But yes, definitely uh, there are stages of moral development when first is out of fear you decide and then, you know, out of some, some kind of a higher principle. Now, higher principle can be either the good of others. There are two ways. It's a very beautiful point. So I'll touch it in my own way. Uh, it goes beyond moral development. Let me put it that, first of all. So that instantly takes us to the question, what is the difference between moral and beyond moral? Now, we have three things. The moral, the ethical, or let's put it the religio-ethical and the spiritual. Now, there are several ways by which human beings decide. Let me take the whole range, you know, and you can relate it to Kohlberg. At the most primitive level, we decide based on purely individual gratification, which is, if I am afraid that this is going to threaten me, I will decide. Apparently, it will look that I have taken the same decision, but it's out of fear. Like, you know, the typical example is people obey the law, not because they really believe in it, but because they are afraid of it. So this is the most primitive level. Or what will give me? So they don't mind breaking the law where they can escape. You see, that's what happens when that, that kind of... So this is one kind of humanity. Many of us live in that level. Then the second, which is because of social pressures. I don't... I don't believe in it, but I decide it because there is a peer pressure, social pressure. Many times, youngsters, your age group, we decide not because our deepest self tells us that this is the thing to be done. We often suppress it, our own deeper voice. And we end up fulfilling somebody else's dreams. It may be the dreams of my parents, or maybe the dream of those around me, and I am just carried by the dream. Let's go to America. Nothing wrong with going to America. But I am just saying that let it be my dream. It should not be others' dream. It should not be American dream that I must fulfill. Because it's the thing going on. So, the second kind of decision is based on social pressures. Because we want to be accepted by others. We want to be acknowledged by others. And in the process, we don't decide what really within us, you know, wants to choose. The third level of decision making is where we are an individual. Now, how does an individual choose? There we have these different standards. One is the moral. Now, the moral principle is normally that there is certain norms which are considered as good. This is the right thing to be done. Most people, even when they act morally, act unthinkingly. Whereas there are instances where a thing can be moral but not right and a thing can be immoral but right. Can anyone give me an instance of thing which is morally correct but not right? Nowadays these debates are coming up and I am so glad you brought out this, is this issue. Morally correct, legally correct, socially correct, 
but it's not right hmm always tell truth no it's i mean it would be right from any stand but i'm saying something morally right but it's not okay i understand that it may not be from a certain standpoint but something more common place that's a little complicated but we can take that always speaking the truth if you are married there is no love and the wife mostly i'm taking the example of the wife wife does not want to have a physical relationship because it doesn't feel love for the man anymore in that case if a man forces himself upon the wife is he legally and socially right or not right right huh legally and socially nowadays i am glad yes i am glad it has come up today that's because a new i am very happy because a new kind of is it's something where which has come up recently i am glad now that is a sign that a newer kind of consciousness is working in man but if you go a generation back there was a distinction legally you cannot question rape by definition was when you you know did it against somebody's consent other than your spouse but today in today's context now what about living in heard of living in relation i am sure all of you have heard about you see these are complex issues which cannot be solved by a simple moral right wrong legal right wrong social right wrong so that's where we have to resort to something deeper ethically what is right and what is wrong you have heard the story of troy it's a very famous event narrated by homer in his epic iliad and odysseus and the story is that helen is married and paris comes and falls in love with this woman and this woman falls in love with paris so one day paris walks away with helen and both of them come back to their kingdom menelaus and his brother agamemnon are very hurt and they take a whole army and march and troy falls act of paris and helen is it right or wrong see the silence speaks it's not an easy dilemma no it's not easy i mean we can answer it at one level but instantly another poser may come so there is a sense of the good there is also a sense of the beautiful an action can be impelled one is by you know the sense of the good then another is the sense of the beautiful there is something called as a innate sense of beauty and nobility in human nature and human beings at some level feel it but they suppress it because throughout the process of education they are not taught i have not answered this question because it's to each one it's not that they they defy they defy any easy answer they are not simple questions to which there are direct simple answers and simple solutions euthanasia i mean these are issues 
which, which are going to come up in law. I suppose some of you are from the legal community. These are going to come up. The sense of the good, the sense of the beautiful. But there is something which goes even beyond the sense of the good and the sense of the beautiful. What is true, what is lasting from that sense, if we can have that sense and act based on that truth, that's where we come to that. It may defy all notions which are lesser, individual, social, religious, ethical, moral, but yet that will stands. I will just leave it that because we have entered the domain of the intangible which is yet the most tangible thing to find. These are things which we must think about and reflect upon. What is, is there a cosmic will in a given moment and it wants something to be done. There is a brief hint of it. I'll, I'll tell you a small story. Have you read Anandamat? Anyone has read Anandamat? Yeah, of course you have read. Okay, have you heard the song Vande Matram? What is the origin of that song? It is first written, it was first written by Bankim Chand in this novel, Anandamat. Please read it. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. And in that book, it's interesting that these are sannyasis, you know, there is a band of sannyasis who want to fight against certain invaders. And while it fights against them, meanwhile the Britishers are beginning to have roots inside the country. And one of the sannyasis says, right now the will is that the Britishers come and they had to go whom we have fought. So there is something which is called as a cosmic will. It operates in ways which are beyond human calculations which we don't understand in a given situation. And if we can be in tune with that, there are several examples I could give, give actually in this connection, then that is the highest. But that will is not accessible normally to human beings because we live in a very small box. We live in a box, as I said yesterday, of conditioned mental ideas, habitual notions, customary things we have read from here, there, books, something we have thought, and that's our glass box. Usually it's a stone box. But beyond it there is a will which operates in this universe which is an intelligent will which is leading this whole creation forward through its own inexplicable ways. And in a given situation if a human being can be in tune with that will then he may take the most offlandish decisions outwardly. At that point of time it may appear to those who are casual lookers that he is doing something very wrong. Like people may have thought about Buddha. Why don't you run a kingdom, sir? They would have thought about Ramakrishna. Why don't you just teach vernacular? You are a Pandit. Or about Meera. Meera decided to leave the comfort of the kingdom and walk into the city as a beggar. Offlandish decisions. 
or Christ. And yet these decisions were in tune with a deeper will. And therefore, they were marked by time. Time saw it and wrote it in the book. Time has two books. One ledger is like, you know, in all business accounts we have two books. Not all, but most business accounts. One is for the world. One is for your own internal auditing. So time takes into account two. The, the, that for the world, every year, you know, it goes away. It's okay. Its purpose is over. So there is a record book of time where all these actions are noted, so to say. Much of it is insignificant, subject to years, decades, maybe a century or so. They are washed away. There are others which it writes in a separate book. It says, this man took a decision in time, but in accord with the timeless will. And nothing can erase that. So it is written in the record book of the gods. So we'll take a break here. I don't know, it's a tea break or what break or just a break? Just an ordinary break. So, <laughs> so <laughs> we can relax if we are tense. And maybe after 10 minutes we can meet and briefly I'll touch upon mental education and then we'll have some questions.